Well, hello, everyone. It has been a while and happy 2023. We are diving into another Civilizations in Review. We're at the end of our full list of empires, but still a few final calls to chat about the very, very different empires that make up the modern Swana region. Today, we're with uh, Alphusaic Fellow for Spring 23, Tanner Willis. Um, as with me, as, as recently always, as Ana Campusano, our fabulous uh, co-moderator in residence, basically, chatting about all these ancient empires. Um, as you are seeing this, we are live streaming to Facebook, but we will also cross-post it to our Instagram, our website, our YouTube, and our Spotify. So you can engage with this content everywhere. The thing I will always mention, as I have on every other call, is the best place, though, to go is our website and the article itself. Um, Tanner did a fabulous job writing this article in general, but also with all of the hyperlinks, so you can continue to engage and learn even more about this uh, dynasty that we will not cover over this short call. So with all that said, thank you, Tanner, for this fabulous article. And Anna, I will throw it to you to read the 101 word introduction. Thank you, Ben, and welcome, Tanner. Um, so this is the Ziyad dynasty. Ziyad in Arabic means growth, which is fitting for the Ziyadid dynasty's enduring influence over modern day Yemen and throughout the Islamic world for over a thousand years. Established by Muhammad ibn Ziyad in 820, who was sent to settle a quarrel of, for the Abbasids, but instead created his own empire and named the capital Zabid after himself. Zabid grew rich in culture, education, and commerce. Nicknamed the Baghdad of Yemen, people traveled well-maintained roads and enjoyed newly erected mosques that connected from Mecca to Aden. The Ziyadid demise eventually came from a revolt of those the empire had enslaved. From all the dynasties and empires that we've studied. I think this is by far the only one that usually came to a demise for this reason. Um, but from what I was reading as well from your uh, 101, uh, it seemed that enslaving people was sort of like um, a culture or part of like uh, what they were doing in this time. So um, how do you, how did you, uh, you know, come about, how did you, what did you think about that when you were researching this uh, empire? I thought it was kind of ironic in the sense of their biggest trade was their ultimate, their demise, which slavery was obviously very common back in those days. But uh, the leader's, uh, I guess, closest slave was the one that ended up uh, taking his life and uh, causing the revolt. Um, that's one thing I thought, yeah, it was very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah a lot of empires have enslavement a part of it, but very few uh, uh, switched hands as a result of it, those that they've enslaved. That's an interesting component there. Um, yeah, but I mean, we can start with the end and then work our way backwards, but <laughs> we can talk a bit more about that, how that revolt started and, uh, you know, any other details. Uh, so I know they did a lot of trades with the, uh, make sure I'm pronouncing this right, the Habasha and Dalak, um, which was in modern day uh, Ethiopia area in Africa. And uh, which going across, you know, the, oh, oh, what's the, the Red Sea and all that, um, just the, the travel and all that, I'm sure the uh, conditions weren't probably the best and uh, being traded that all around, I mean, not in very good, comfortable situation, you're not going to want to be there very long. And I'm sure they took the opportunity and just wanted a better life because, I mean, that area was fairly new. I mean, the dynasty technically only lasted 200 years. So uh, they probably seen a chance of creating something better for themselves. 
as we see uh, a lot with uh, people that are oppressed and um, just with it being such a cultural and educational and commerce center, just, you know, just take advantage of that. Yeah, I think the most ironic part actually was that he was sent to settle and, you know, some type of issue, a quarrel, and the Abbasids, which were quite strong in the time, but then eventually that kind of moved into creating his own dynasty, which I think in retrospect, like it's the same thing that sort of happened with the enslaved people. It just continued to kind of, uh, you know, developed in this way, which I think it's it's really quite an interesting thought. Uh, but in, even in this uh, area, even in this time, it looks like they did a lot of work in their 200 years. I mean, considering the modern influence. So what could you tell us about that? Uh, yes, so their location was very um, key to that, which, uh, like you said, they set the uh, Muhammad Abin Zabid uh, down to solve the quarrel, and he just kind of took advantage of that opportunity. He's like, I'm going to hold this area, and they actually ended up having a good relationship throughout his dynasty period. Uh, I don't know if that was because of previous relations, and they just realized he had that area stable, uh, but you would assume they would be rivals because he did take that power from them. Uh, but they had a, a wadi uh, flowing, which is basically like an irrigation system, which was a huge part of why they were able to, I think, prosper as much because they had agriculture. And it also brought people from farmers and others to trade. And I think that really helped establish their um, trade routes as well and uh, their uh, construction of mosques and further basically interstate highways for us in the sense of those days. Fascinating. It's, it's, Cool to see the, I don't know, things we take for granted of road making and uh, irrigation as unique and new and state of the art back then. And, and in a lot of ways influences how we do ours today. That's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing those pieces. Yeah, I'm always most fascinated by the modern influence um, section because, you know, these empires were thousands, hundreds of years ago. Um, this one specifically, you know, almost a thousand years ago. And so the, to see that there's still some pretty strong ties from then till now in something as simple as like the roads that were constructed i think something really really fascinating to talk about uh, i think the other thing that we we really can't ignore especially when it comes to modern yemen um is the religious influence that the zia did sort of initiated and still continues today um the you know zaidi uh imamate that sect of islam or school of islam um is is pretty prevalent in in some parts of yemen still um you know please talk about it a bit more tanner but that's something that is also very um evident in modern yemeni life that stemmed from the Ziyadids. yeah that was one thing that really did uh surprise me because as i was saying the dynasty technically only lasted 200 years but their influence spanned way farther into modern day uh like uh, 30% of Yemenis today kind of associate with the Zadi Yemenite. And uh, the closest, I guess you could say, political group would be the Houthi rebels, though they've stated that they don't really want to bring that style of government back. But, you know, that's still, as they are discussing their conflict and with the Yemeni government and trying to solve that. But um, just the fact that that's still, yeah, relevant to their everyday lives and, uh, just the influence it has over the country today. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's quite uh, 
common even uh, most of these empires that we've studied um usually they have this spread of of all uh, kind of like commerce as well which makes me think about the way to diplomacy in these times is always just fascinating to think about that that's what kind of grew relations between countries and uh, from what i was reading as well it, it looks like you know there's also like uh, the spread of Islam and uh, bringing mosques and building mosques, uh, you know, it, it helped as well in the region. Um, looks like, you know, between Mecca and Oman and, and all these uh, great mosques being built, I think it really brings the area together as well. Um, it really kind of spread more than many that we've seen, Yemen, and then also having uh, uh, across the Red Sea. Um, it's really a fascinating uh, empire to think about and to think about the influence that it really does have today. Um, I think about also the what you mentioned slightly, uh, if you could, if you'd want to talk more about the agriculture and how that played a role in how they kind of maintained themselves for 200 years. Uh, yes, I say that uh, the wadi flowing that they were able to establish, I think, really, I mean, was the key to their success. Uh, because, I mean, if you can't feed your people, the people are going to either move or revolt or, I mean, I mean, that's just how people are. I mean, everyone's got to eat. And uh, being able to do that, they were able to be settled, comfortable, create those roads. So when, and the mosque, so when people were traveling, they not only were fed, but they felt safe, which made more people be able to, you know, have educational centers and for it to get dubbed the nickname of uh, Baghdad of Yemen, um, I think, um, without you know those true um, infrastructure foundations that yeah like uh, Ben was saying earlier you know we do take for granted today but during that time that was you know unheard of I mean it was a state-of-the-art city um, I think that just yeah really put them a step ahead in, per se uh, compared to others in that area at the time well that's why we're still talking about them you know 800 years later so yeah <laughs> sense um not much more than 800 my goodness um the, yeah this is really interesting the connection points that are so present in zabid's that city's growth to you know not just modern day yemen but really how some of our modern cities across the whole globe operate um i i think one of the things that are most fascinating is trade and you know, this ancient Yemeni empire, which is very close to Ethiopia, Eritrea, geographically, just, you know, it's still need to travel by boat, but it's not a very far distance. However, the fact that they had this really strong trade relationship with these two mighty African empires in modern day Ethiopia and Eritrea, it's so fascinating to me. It, it Obviously, Yemen is physically and geographically right next to that part of Africa, and yet two different worlds and how most of geopolitics are thought about. Um, Yemen is an Arab Swana country. Ethiopia and Eritrea are an, an East African horn, you know, of Africa countries, right? But yet there was this overlap between these civilizations that I, is is really, really unique. Um, the Habasha and the Dakhlaq are not going to be an Al-Khuzaik, just because Ethiopia and Eritrea aren't considered uh, Middle Eastern or Southwest Asian um, in their geography, and yet had a huge influence on this Yemeni empire. So you know, please share a bit more if you have any more details about, um, you know, the relationship of these two um, ancient African empires um, and the Ziyadid. Uh See, I know the, the main things that they traded outside of the, the slaves was like uh, panther skins and other furs, amber, um, 
they had a couple other things I can't think of off the top of my head, but uh, I mean, they traded vast different things that uh, you wouldn't have in, you know, a more desert like region in Yemen. Uh, so, and then Yemen would trade like just their educational knowledge or culture, their pottery was really big. Um, so, their commerce and their trade was uh, what really, yeah, definitely established that uh, relationship. Because, like you said, that even though they're close, they're still completely different. So, they were definitely uh, able to establish a really strong relationship between the two. I think I'm, I'm still like uh, fascinated by the fact that, you know, there, there, ha there were so many educational perspectives as well in this empire, mostly because I think, you know, education is the foundation for building any kind of city. And um, this is why I think, as, uh, as Ben very well put, we're talking about it uh, a thousand years later, but, you know, it, it kind of held, held them together as well. Um, it wasn't just about, you know, uh, some educational center, but even most of the dynasties or empires that we've studied, uh, you know, they don't really focus on the educational piece. And, and, you know, it makes them, it makes the people as well kind of respect and, and be part of the empire, feel like they're part of it. Maybe that's why even, you know, 30% of Yemen's population still identified as part of the Zaidi state because they felt proud and they, they had this, uh, you know, they were happy. So it, it's really uh, quite ironic that at the same time that, you know, it made so many people feel, you know, accustomed into this life, it was also slaves and, you know, so many enslaved people that eventually were kind of against the, the dynasty. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird kind of mix to see, uh, you know, uh, people be content at the same time as uh, not having the, the same opinion um, towards uh, uh, Muhammad Ibn uh, Ziyad. So uh, I, I don't know, I'm just thinking about like, how, how, was, uh, how was it that, you know, it kind of sort of led to that at some point or, or why it didn't even start in the first place? Why were people enslaved, you know? Yeah, so that's one thing I was kind of, you would think that with such an educational center, they would have kind of been a step ahead maybe, but and maybe they were in a sense, maybe that's what caused the revolt is everyone had an open, more of an open mind and realized, hey, this isn't right. We need to do something about this. And yeah. we had the mindset and the knowledge to do so. And I think that's also why, even though like we've said it only lasted 200 years, but their influence and ideology has lasted over a thousand years and still to this day. I mean, it just shows that um, education is really the foundation of growth, hence the name of uh, the did. You know, I mean, that's what they've really done, just grown, just their, their thought process, their education, and, and their history. That's such a different perspective to, I don't know, empire building than a lot of these other ones we've talked about. Most of them are, like, focused on growth in a geographic sense. So more conquering, more enslavement, more building, more of a spread. It, it doesn't really seem like the Ziyadids cared much about how large their empire was, just that it was, you know, contained and and uh, homogenous in some way. Is that is that true, or am I am I interpreting this incorrectly? No, I think that's uh, definitely true. That's one thing I thought was kind of interesting is that they really never fought with anybody. Really, I mean, had a couple of feuds, but nothing like that was serious. I couldn't find anything really that said much mm -hmm. on it. But sure. it was just yeah, more from within that happened and. Uh, yeah, they was peaceful, more about just, yeah, creating commerce, education, spreading Islam, and uh, 
just very it seemed peaceful really for you know for settling a, a quarrel to kind of establishing an empire i think they cared more about keeping that together i think they they were more worried about you know where they were and and what they could do there and how they could grow there and you know grow within the city or even make the city relevant for thousands of years and i mean for that definitely they achieved it um, but it's something that that it seems very uh, off uh, what we when we sort of think about as well as uh, empires were worried about growth, as Ben very well put it, um, uh, kind of like spreading around the region. But also, they uh, one other common theme is usually economics, uh, trade, money, uh, richness, uh, that sort of thing. So it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to think about that. Um, how are their kind of like their political structure or, or did they even have such a thing or, or what were their politics like, you know, in this time? Uh, their politics was uh, based off a book of uh, written by, uh, it was like, I believe the grandson of Muhammad uh, Ibn Zadid, uh, but Zadid Ibn Ali, and he wrote the, I might pronounce this wrong, but Majum al Fiku, maybe, I think that's how you say it. But uh, they really based their political structure off his teachings, uh, his view of uh, what they call Zadi law or Islamic law. And um, so they'd have an emir, which is similar to like the monarch, um, uh, a religious leader. And they had to have a kind of a direct descendant of uh, Muhammad. And um, that they would, um, but that's just how they kind of did their political structure. And they went from the top down like that. Um, and that was like that, the Zadi uh, state for until the 1960s. And that's when there was a uh, Republican uh, or Democratic Republic revolution uh, that overthrew it. And uh, but even still to this day, as we've spoken, the Zadi state is still very relevant in today's politics in Yemen. Was there much uh, kind of like information in your research about uh, how the revolt started or were there any allies or uh, I think that maybe you've mentioned that also in uh, modern day Eritrea and Ethiopia it was kind of like a common thing happening there as well or was there any detail about that? Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of detail I think it just because of such a short time span um, I just kind of more or less just said that there was a slave revolt and that it was the uh, yeah. the I think grandson or great grandson of Muhammad that slave that was the one that did the deed and uh, killed him to take over and uh, after that it was a lot of political turmoil um, with different clans throughout the region uh, between the slaves so it was just kind of back and forth for uh, a couple hundred years after that Well, this has been incredibly fascinating. Um, just hearing the, I don't know, different ways of trade. A lot of these empires are trading north to Europe or eastern to China, India, you know, et cetera. Um, and yet the Ziyadids are trading technically west, but to Ethiopia and Eritrea. That that alone is new. And their emphasis on education rather than geographic expansion is um, a different one. Um, what a fascinating conversation. Is there any other things in your research, maybe it didn't make to your final article or did, that you'd like to share with us about uh, your, your knowledge of the Ziyadid Empire? Uh, I think uh, one thing I found that was really cool is uh, that the Zabib city that was founded is actually UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, that was one thing I found really uh, inter interesting finding out. 
uh, there's just that's how much of an impact that this uh, dynasty had. That, I mean, literally the city that founded it was a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Wow, Ben, it looks like we might have to take a trip. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, when, uh, when it's safe to do so, that would be a wonderful uh, UNESCO hopping trip or something. Maybe I'll be able to do it in the future one day. For sure. <laughs> If I'm not mistaken, the main image of Zia did is from the UNESCO mm -hmm. um, gallery, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is. Wow. Fantastic. Of the historic city of Zabid in Yemen. Amazing. Fantastic. Um, any final questions or thoughts you have, Anna, for Tanner about this ancient empire? No, 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 absolutely not. I want to let the uh, audience read more about it uh, on Zia. Yeah, there's so many still to talk about, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that is so interesting. Uh, anything else you'd like to share other than uh, your final thoughts of the Ziadid Empire, Tanner, as we wrap up today? Uh, I'd say it was definitely a very interesting um, dynasty. I learned a lot and there was just their influence, I think, was the biggest thing that was uh, very interesting to me and cool. Uh, definitely, you all have to check it out. Absolutely. Wait, one final question that I think we always ask, uh, just so you can tell us, Tanner, uh, was it difficult or like finding research about uh, the Zia did or, or was there a lot of information or, or how did you find it when you were doing your research? Uh, say Google Scholar was a good thing, but there really wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot. It was more like a few pages here and there that mm -hmm. you could find in different books. Uh, so we just kind of had to, take a bunch of information and just a few pages here and there and kind of put the story together to say. So it's a gem, definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Tanner. <laughs> thank you. Wow. Well, we'll wrap up there then. Um, thank you again, Tanner, for this fabulous article. Again, there is more details, hyperlinks, stories, et cetera, on the Alphusaic website. Just scroll. It is the last one alphabetically. So you got to scroll to the bottom, but it's worth the scroll, I promise to the Ziyadid dynasty um, in uh, ancient, yeah, er, early Yemen, um, about a thousand years ago. Thank you again, Tanner. What a fabulous article. Thank you, Anna, as always, for your insight, your candor, and your questions. Um, and thank you to our audience for connecting, listening, and exploring more about Al-Fusaic. We only have about four empires left to write about. So if one of them interests you, let's uh, come over to the Al-Fusaic website, the Join Us team, and uh, we'll plug you in and you'll be on a future one of these calls. Maybe Anna or Tanner is your co-moderator. And with that, we will stop this conversation. Thank you again, Tanner and Anna, for your time, your insight, and this article. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks again.